0: have a fifth year in a chemical engineering lab through the IBIS program at Northwestern. Uh, he's a fifth year who can make fire with his hands. Justin Finkel. <laughs> Are you that's doing it right it, that's now? That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can actually... Like, I did Boy Scouts, and I don't think I can actually make a, a fire
1: I do I matches. I was never a Boy Scout. I don't want to um, insult them while I'm being recorded, but I... I know many more useful things in the outdoors than my Boy Scout cohort. That is
0: (laughs) probably true. Yeah, not all not all Boy Scout troops are made equal. But Um,
1: making a fire is not that hard once you learn how to do it, and it's a ton of fun. Yeah, it really really is a ton of fun. Um, Not in Chicago. Wow. But that's one of the things I miss the most. So I was in uh, I was in San Francisco over the summer doing an internship, and uh, the mountains were great to be back in. So, oh, God. It was a ton of fun. <laughs> Wait, so
0: are you from, like, Colorado or something? <laughs> no, I'm from New York. Okay.
1: From upstate New York.
0: Upstate New York. Yes. Ah, that's awesome. Near um, the
1: Adirondacks.
0: Okay, one yeah. one of the
1: larger state parks in the in the, in the the country.
0: Well, I've been to, like, one of the biggest, Big Bend in Texas. Yeah. Okay. But I've also been to Bear Everything, Mountain. Everything's bigger in Texas. Is Bear Mountain, is that considered upstate, or is that still pretty far south? Yeah.
1: Uh, if it's, if it's in Westchester, which I'm told it is, it is very much downstate. It's very much downstate. Okay, fair I, enough. I'm from Albany. Albany, everybody in New York has a different point of view as to what upstate is, but I generally consider everything south of Albany to not be upstate.
0: Okay, that's fair. And Buffalo is further north than Albany.
1: Buffalo's west. Straight shot Ooh, west straight from west. Albany. Okay, because mm-hmm.
0: I have family in Buffalo that I've never met before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's
1: a five-hour drive straight west of Albany. Oh,
0: that's. Kind of
1: short honestly yeah. Yeah. it's not that bad it's not that
0: bad but, um but let's talk about your research so you're in a chemi it. lab but you're can you explain what ibis is i suppose first yes so
1: ibis oh they changed the name so i'm gonna have to keep i'm gonna have to get it right it's the inter disciplinary interdisciplinary biological sciences program at northwestern so it encompasses a lot of different programs so the main uh, the main program is molecular biosciences. They don't have undergrads, so they only have grad students that they get from Ibis. Mm. But basically, if you're an Ibis, you can join any lab that's tangentially related to bio. So there are people in chemical uh, chemistry labs, chemical and biological engineering labs, um, neuroscience, uh, all the people on the med school in Feinberg. Is
0: there a biomedical engineering department? There
1: is a biomedical engineering department. So there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap. So basically, if you're interested in bio more from just like the pure biology side of it that was uh that that would be why you join ibis so that's
0: awesome i'm
1: a bio my, i'm a bio engineer that's my background that was my undergrad degree but i realized that i was interested in like the, the really fundamental biological questions and that's why i joined ibis also i missed the application deadline for chemical and biological engineering. <laughs> <laughs>
0: also, I didn't get into the right program. So, also, oh, I'm,
1: wow. I also I also missed the Ibis uh, application deadline. But the program director was really nice and was like, "Just send it. Just send it just my slide way. Slide it under the yeah. door. Yeah. <laughs> just send it my <laughs> way. We'll we'll see how things go." And and here I am.
0: So, do you enter Ibis as um like as a first year graduate student?
1: No. You, well, wait. Or yes. Yes. Everyone does. So, like
0: you apply as a first year. To get in for your first year, yes. Okay, and we
1: do rotations our first year, so um, so our first year we join. You basically take classes and you do three lab rotations. So you join uh, for each quarter, fall, winter, and spring. You do a different lab rotation,
0: and then you whoever has funding slash you're interested in you slash
1: they're with. interested, and in, you got to find like mutual things. And if if you know sometimes they don't end up having funding because they're you talk you rotate with them in the fall and then they don't get funding with that they were expecting in the spring or For whatever other reason, they, you know, they had a lot of interest, so they can't fit everybody who wants to go in their lab. So sometimes people do an extra one. Yeah. An an extra rotation.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, That's not at all how my program works, but that's just... (laughs)
1: Um, it was it was good for me because I had um, compared to like the other places I had applied where other grad schools you it sounds like you just apply and you join a lab right yeah, away
0: specific advisor a specific yeah. area
1: and I had zero idea what I wanted to do so rotations <laughs> were perfect rotations were perfect
0: what did you think you wanted to do when you first started
1: um, my background's in um, bioengineering but biofuels actually so I really wanted to really wanted to do a lot of metabolic engineering and improving um, biofuel production Uh, I had worked at an engineering consulting firm that did energy efficiency before coming to grad school so I'm all about energy efficiency. I like biofuels, regardless of the market. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, Wait, so then how do you feel about ethanol in our fuel source? Because my engineering father has this... And I don't know if this is true or not. He talks about how it's an inefficient fuel source and actually leads to more damage on the engines. Mm-hmm. And so then you like, need a new car sooner. And so it's actually not a green source of energy because it ends up damaging the engines. But I don't know if that's true or not.
1: Yeah, or, I mean, uh, it, it definitely it has less... Um, It definitely has less power like less energy per whatever whatever they measure it in gallon per gram however you want to do it um but uh in terms of like a in terms of like a renewable energy it makes sense it there's definitely more wear on engines but we can certainly redesign an engine right um we've been (laughs) doing we've been doing that for lots of years um there's a lot of interest in butanol um butanol is one of the the earlier biofuels um that's been around since like the 1900s and it's almost a drop-in replacement. They call it a drop-in replacement for gasoline. So, cause it paves almost exactly the same. So wow. rather than two carbons, it's got four carbons. Yeah.
0: Meth, eth uh, something. Prope. Prope, butte. yeah. Pent. And
1: pent. <laughs> we, ah, we, I used to knew. know these things. Well, yeah, what, <laughs> Whatever, whatever our, whatever our Latin roots. I don't I...
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I yeah. don't know. I had to take organic chemistry and then. Yeah. So I,
1: so I really wanted to do that. A lot of, a lot of people focus on sort of just like, how do we make better um, microbes to convert sugars into ethanol? And uh, I don't know. I, I guess one of the big hangups for me when I got into grad school is, is like, even if we had perfect conversion from sugar to to ethanol, I don't think we can grow enough of it to make enough ethanol, enough fuel, enough biofuels to meet our needs. Yeah. So I really wanted to engineer like better plants or better, better ways to Basically, harness sun, sunlight and turn it into a potential fuel. Um, and that's how I got into what I'm doing now, which is exploring the fundamental organization of biology. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's totally a link that I left out there.
0: No, but. that's super awesome. I mean, basically, you're making an organic um, uh, solar cell. But in this case, it's literally so yes. like a biological cell that we are taking in solar energy and converting it into something we can use.
1: Absolutely. And there was. Just a paper that I saw today uh, in Science where they came up with a new pathway. So they took enzymes from, like, I think they said 17 different organisms and put them into a pathway to convert carbon dioxide to glyoxylate, which is a type of sugar. So that's, like, a completely new way to fix carbon. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's the coolest thing ever because one of the things that we haven't been able to do is engineer a way to turn carbon dioxide, which is really inert, so... Doesn't react with anything. It's kind of a bummer chemically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we make a lot of it by burning things because, and then it just sits around and does nothing. So we want to convert it into something useful, and it's really hard. Um, and biology has been doing it for millennia, like plants. Say, that's trees all they do. do yeah, they do that. That's it all. why we care about They all do it naturally, but they do it really. I guess I mean, like ultimately, it's it's pretty inefficient. Like the whole the whole conversion process uh, hinges on this one enzyme that has a very low conversion Mm -hmm. rates so well
0: even when it and depending on what kind of organism you're looking to take in co2 i'm i remember hearing articles about like using algae blooms to help Mm -hmm. reduce co2 emissions but the problem is when that algae dies it just releases a massive amount of co2 back into the air and so it's like well right temporary
1: and as i mean i think i think wind and solar are great um we'll certainly make uh, we'll certainly make better batteries in the future but i mean for the time being liquid fuels pretty awesome yeah, um, and you can't make plastics from batteries, so we need, we need our, uh, we need our long, our long carbon chains to make, uh, to make yeah. lots of useful products. So. It's the
0: backbone of our life, both in yeah. terms of yeah our products that we have. Ooh, and... Backbone of
1: our life. Ooh, and the carbon chain. Yeah, exactly. That was really <laughs> slick. That was really slick.
0: Because <laughs> it's always a carbon backbone, as yeah. how it's described. I
1: it's... don't do any of that now, okay. for the record. So I just went into a long, a long, a long rant about that. I do nothing related to biofuels anymore.
0: So what made you move out of biofuels?
1: It just My advisor is the coolest person. Um and she's really she was just when I met her, she was very exciting and all of the things that I'm learning now, uh, there's no reason they're not applicable to biofuels in the future. Um, but as we know with academia, the money is in cancer and it is not as much in biofuels. So <laughs> I get so to depressing. I get to explore the interesting things through the lens of cancer and uh and learn about just uh Learn about biology as a system in general.
0: Yeah. So. I think that often happens, though. It's almost better if you get trained in tools that will be useful for another field, but you're you're taught to think in a different way. And so then you're not going to come in with preconceptions that everybody else in that field might have already had.
1: That's true. Yeah. If you wanted
0: to go back into biofuels.
1: that's That would, that would be great. Um, we'll hope the price of oil goes up again.
0: <laughs> um,
1: and then maybe that'll be a viable career option. Otherwise, it's to the pharmaceutical industry for me.
0: Oh, yeah. Well... <laughs> mm. Big pharma, no. Um, so so now you're doing cancer research?
1: I am doing cancer research, um, very tangentially. Yeah. So uh, broadly speaking, we do computational and systems biology, which um, you should ask my dad what that means. Um, he has no idea. I've tried, <laughs> I've tried explaining it to him many times. He sells candy. So it's a it's a pretty big leap from selling candy to, to computational biology. But really, we, we try to use... Um, math and ultimately statistics, um, and then, uh, computational power to try and figure out how biological systems are organized and uh, just try to understand them. So how much general. of
0: this is statistics and how much of it is modeling?
1: Um, those are really hard to deconvolute. So okay. they're, they're intimately yeah. tied, but we do a lot of, stati- we do a lot of statistics. Um, you know, we, if we're going to use fancy buzzwords, we do machine learning, but mm-hmm. machine learning relies very heavily on statistics. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> machine learning is such a buzzword, and it's becoming a big deal in my field as well yeah. for, yeah, can we can we teach computers to to do yeah. like these complicated tasks that we do as researchers?
1: Yeah, I, I guess the major difference that I would say is um, and it's sort of a big uh, thing that my research hinges on is that, Machine learning, you don't necessarily care about what happens in the machine. Mm -hmm. It's just you make a very useful product. You make something that learns uh, how to recognize patterns or learns how to predict things. Right. A
0: versus B. Can you tell me if this item is A or B based on what you've seen, quote unquote, seen previously? And
1: you don't really care how it does it as long as it does it well. Um, And then because it relies on statistical methods, I'm really interested in understanding, well, why did you learn how to, how did you learn to classify things well? Or how did you learn to predict this behavior? And what can we learn about biological systems from looking at that? So, um, you have to know a lot about statistics to understand machine learning. Yeah. And to, to sort of backtrack. So we try to predict things, and then use our brains to figure out how the machine predicted it in ways that we we wouldn't have. Um, and it's uh, it's a it's a constant struggle. So we 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 spent a <laughs> long time yesterday. We have in our lab we have a whole wall that's a whiteboard, mm-hmm. which is great. And we spent all of yesterday trying to do uh, trying to figure out some some statistics and the conclusion was that we don't think it's solvable (laughs) which is i feel like is a classic classic grad school struggle
0: right we spent all day working on this problem Mm -hmm. and there there was no answer uh
1: the answer is that we will probably not be able to get the answer yeah,
0: I feel like that's how my parents see me in grad school. They're yeah. like, yeah, she spends all day doing work, but I'm not clear on what's being accomplished. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds right. That's a that's a good day-to-day thing. Sometimes you, sometimes you really get out of lab and you're like, that was great. I really know what I did. I had a goal. I, I got it all accomplished. And other days you get out of lab and you're like, how did I spend all day doing that? Yeah. What was I thinking? I
0: think I worked on one computer script for something that wasn't working and checked email mm-hmm. all day, and I'm not sure that I got the script to work properly. Still, yeah, <laughs> like...
1: it's uh, it can be a trap. Coding is really nice. Um, I like it for a, a bunch of reasons. It's 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 a lot of fun. Everything you run is like it's it's a, it's its own mini experiment, but that also means that you get trapped in like really minute things Mm -hmm. um and spend a whole day doing really interesting stuff that has no relevance to your project at all (laughs) yeah when
0: you zoom back out you're like oh i did not need to come up with six different ways to make sure that this was working properly yeah yeah
1: Yeah. what was what was i thinking but uh no my my internship was really good for that um it was it was a it was a really good wake-up call for for a, a big difference between how we do um programming in academia so a lot of times we'll do programming as like a means to an end. We want to prove mm-hmm. our point, we want to write a paper, we want to get this whole thing accomplished and nobody will ever look at or use our code again. Yeah. And so if you ever tried to use an academics code, it's like if you go and look at it it is terrible. There's
0: no notes, there's like weird things that have been plugged in at weird places that you're not sure if it needs to be run or not.
1: And you know the chance that you download something from somebody's website and it actually runs is minimal. Yeah. <laughs> and that just doesn't fly in, in in industry or for any tool that anybody else is going to be used uh, anybody is going to use at any point point. and i realized that even if my code isn't used by other people it's going to be used by me or potentially my lab mates so i should be starting it off like it's going to be something that's used and so there's
0: right comment out every line so you can tell what's going on make yeah. sure you have all your variables defined at the beginning I, yeah I, I know the rules of, of clean and good programming and then I often forget them halfway through my projects
1: yes <laughs> it's yes awful we do the same thing all the time
0: but. yeah so where did you do your internship
1: um, Genentech okay Genentech in uh, at San Francisco so in the bioinformatics department there it was it was a blast I don't um, normally do bioinformatics so it was really interesting to learn about um, bio, bioinformatics I guess I don't know if you're familiar with the difference between that and computational biology—not really. It's going to be like the same thing between machine learning and statistics. But bioinformatics is is generally anything related to um, genes and sequencing, how to really think about treating that data. So whenever you whenever you hear somebody saying like, "Oh, we found a gene that's uh, related to cancer," or we found a gene that's related to obesity, that's people have really thought through like all of the minute. Really, really minute. Some of them, in my opinion, details about uh, how you would how you would calculate that and how you would you would uh, statistically derive <laughs>
0: right. and that know information that from an experiment, that gene, right? Not.
1: And and again, it's only an association. But um, yeah. and but that was really good to use because normally I think of all that stuff ahead of what I do. So I use tools that bioinformaticians have done and made, and then I just assume that they did it right. And then I use their results for my work. Um, (laughs) So it was good to learn about how they think about things and how they do their work so that when I do come back to my research, I really understand that a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Um, You're not just hitting run. You you actually know like their reasoning behind.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard stuff. People have really thought this stuff through and some of the things, um, we still don't have a good answer for, um,
0: Yeah. I mean, I see that all the time in genetic studies where someone's like, oh, they found the gene for cancer. It's like, there's not one gene. And no, often, you know, those early studies had like, you know, they, it seemed like a big population of like a hundred people. It's like, that is not a significant population when you're looking at an entire genetic code. I was
1: actually, I was actually really excited when I was like a new researcher and we were looking, um, you know, I was looking at some of my information and I was like, all right. Um, let me hear my results, and now I'm gonna see what types of genes they're associated with, with uh, what types of genes they're associated with, and what those functions of those genes are. And I was like, oh my god, this one's associated with cancer. Oh my god, this one's associated with cancer. <laughs> and it, it was like so exciting when I when I when I was new. And and then I sort of looked at the bulk statistics, and um, you know, if you look at like if you look at all of the genes in the human genome, and there are depending on how you count them, there are around twenty thousand genes around 40% of them are annotated, meaning we have some semblance of an idea of what they do. Just 40%. So <laughs> I'm going to try to do math off the top of my head this late at night. Uh, 20,000. So that's like, what, eight 8,000 genes of the yeah. 20,000 that we have some idea of what they do. And some of those annotations might just be something like, uh, might just be like, we saw a lot of this gene when we treated it with this, yeah. Compound like nothing, nothing helpful at all. Yeah. But of those forty percent of genes, like most of them are like related to cancer. So if well, you... cancer is just haywire <laughs> cells in, in
0: X system, right? Well, and all
1: these things that we test them in are cancerous cell lines too, because yeah. that's how you can that's how you can do things experimentally. So it was like I was so excited when I was when I was new, and now I see something that says like it's annotated like oh implicated in colorectal cancer, and you're like, well, what the hell is it? <laughs>
0: yeah it's like okay well that was meaningless
1: uh thanks for that
0: (laughs) moving on yeah
1: um so it's it's uh you know you know existential crises every every couple of months but
0: would you consider yourself a big data scientist
1: Ooh, you know we that's a loaded question
0: that's That's fair (laughs) it is um
1: According to some of the grants we apply for, yes. <laughs> uh, but but really, yes and no. So big data, we deal with um, big data for our field. So it's larger than anything people have looked at before. If you were to go look at data science for, you know, anything else, finance, social science, um, any anything that like a data science consulting company would do, then no. But... Um, <laughs> You know, because biology. I mean, you do experiments. It's very hard to acquire samples and subjects in biology. Yes. Um, So we're pretty limited by that. But we do a lot of um, dynamics research, which means that we look at how things, how a system changes through time. Mm -hmm. And that adds a whole new dimension to things that people haven't looked at before. So, So when people look at, you know, genes associated with cancer, they take, a healthy population and they take a population with cancer and they see how the genes, you know, uh, which genes are modified, um, how the code, how the genetic, how the DNA code is modified between those two populations. We make our job more complicated because we say, well, how does that, how does that process change over time? So, you know, if you were, if you're thinking about it in terms of DNA, which we don't, we, we, we think that the the stuff we use has like a, a static dna code but if you we would say like an individual has acquired mutations over time how does that relate to their likelihood of getting cancer yeah so we just added a whole new dimension which makes things very annoying and very hard to very to annoying out. but
0: also like a true representation of the real world because a lot of science you're right is very snapshotty and it's like we saw this effect right after we tested it this way but and that's true in my field as well. You know, mm-hmm. where people will ask me, "Oh, well, well, you found this really cool thing about sleep. How long does it last?" And it's like, "Uh, no one's no one's done that research. We right. don't know. That's right. Could be meaningless if you look at it a month out. It could actually still be important. And it, I feel like that is a really underserved community in general of not looking at those longer yeah. time spans. And
1: and I get why it's like that. Um, you you are a sleep researcher. You know yeah. how how tiring it is to do that. Um. Uh, We get all of our data from experimental collaborators and, you know, to do an experiment, you know, uh, so I have data that's done over a four hour time course. So they take time points every couple of minutes for four hours. But there are some that, you know, if you want to say, how is this changing over time for days to years? then you have to have an experimentalist. You have to have a real human being get up and run that experiment. And uh, we've worked with some people who do circadian rhythm stuff. Mm -hmm. And they run experiments for two to three days and they have to take a time point every four hours. And I got to imagine by the time that they're at day three, they haven't slept more than a couple hours at a time. They're going nuts. (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah. And then you start getting in undergrads. You're like, okay, I need you to come in at uh, four in the morning Mm -hmm. and uh, measure these different things for us. And... Yeah, it becomes a nightmare
1: so it, it's tough but I think I, I think you're right I think it I mean our our belief is that it really gets at the true nature of things and that um, we've been learning a lot more about biology and how things respond in time um, can play a really crucial role um, there was a there was a great paper showing that um, there was a great recent paper recent paper showing that if you um, treated cells with a drug uh, so a uh, for a certain amount of time, they would respond one way. Mm -hmm. But if you treated them with the same drug, but in a different dynamic way, so you'd give them a pulse of the drug every couple minutes, then they would respond completely differently, as if they were responding to a a separate chemical. Yeah. And so to me, that was just sort of, I mean, one, that's fascinating, and two, it just underscores the importance of how things change over time.
0: I mean, that is super mind-blowing, and that's um, that's something that, yeah, like you said, circadian rhythm researchers uh, really look at it is because they're like, oh, there's actually all this research that, like, when your doctor tells you to take your medication in the morning, it actually might be relevant that you take it every morning because your mm-hmm. metabolism is different, your cortisol is different. Everything, like, uh, the system is dynamic, and so yeah. when you're taking a medication, the, the biological system of your body is going to re- react differently, yeah and I think that's so cool.
1: And, you know to all of our to all of your your uh, uninformed listeners out there and yeah. n- none of us in this field are really that well informed so take everything we say with a grain of salt like we I don't have a clue what's going on over time to be honest and I don't <laughs> I, anybody who tells you that they do know what's going on I would say is probably over over exaggerating what they know oh
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> I mean we, we're like we have a pretty good guess we think maybe uh <laughs> this close enough mm. Yeah. So do you, do you want to stay in academia or do you think you want to go into...
1: That's been a real struggle for me. Um, I definitely, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I really enjoy about academia is, is in theory, the freedom that you have to explore interesting questions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this really is the golden age for biology. I mean, there's just so much that we're learning. And if you think about like the, the turn of the century, turn of the centuries that I'm, feel like i'm i feel like i should know that reference at my age but turn of the century is like early 1900s right yeah maybe late 1800s we're
0: technically in the 22nd century right now
1: yeah okay well we'll say early 1900s was like a revolution in physics and theoretical physics yeah and i think that's really how i see myself in biology like where there's a revolution for biology going on right now and and to be involved in the theory of biology we have no we have no fundamental principles for biology that are like That are like Newton's (laughs) laws. Like nothing at all compares. We're like, okay, genes get made into proteins sometimes, maybe not
0: always.
1: Yeah. Depends on
0: epigenetics. It also depends on if the protein folds correctly, if the protein can do its job. It's
1: it's it gets really hard really fast. And I, I think that it's a really fun time to try and figure out like what are the what are the guiding principles of biology and how can we use that to understand biology and then make really useful things out of biology the same way we did that with physics the same way we did that with electronics um, i think it's a cool time but you know it's also a really hard time to get money in academia and and looking at you know i know a lot of young faculty at northwestern and uh, you know i've read a lot of it nature had a good series for their last publication about the struggles of young faculty and you just don't get to spend a lot of time doing doing what you want I love teaching I love um, I've mentored a lot of students I've done a lot of tutoring Um, I've taught a couple lectures and I love it and you just don't get to spend it doesn't seem like you get to spend a lot of your time doing that you have to you have to write a lot of grants you have to go around and get your name it's, it's like running a startup, but without the upside of a startup. Like, mm-hmm. you don't get to sell it. The, the only upside is at some point you get stability where you just get to do whatever you want. Um, and so it, it's been, as I've become an old jaded grad student, it's <laughs> <laughs> in year five, I've become less, uh, less enamored with academia. But at the same time, it's hard to get back into academia once you get out of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've been struggling with what to do, whether I want to do a postdoc or, or uh, a postdoc in industry. Or sometimes I just, uh, you know, I think to myself, maybe I should just go volunteer at a, a dog shelter for the rest <laughs> of my life. Like uh, That will uh, give me meaning. Hashtag dogs are the best people.
0: They really are. They are.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, like, I sometimes I think, what am I doing with my life? Maybe I should just go hang out with dogs and live in the countryside and hike but that I, pays it,
0: even worse than academia it does though. it
1: does Probably. It's, it's tough um i mean i i knew what i was getting into with pay like i was it was an engineer beforehand like <laughs> i took a big pay <laughs> cut to come to to grad school um
0: yeah i did and i went straight from undergrad so i was like oh i went from making nothing yeah, to a little to bit making of something. money right it,
1: it feels good it feels good to make money um now we live pretty comfortably especially in chicago which is a a nice city to live in. Yeah. I lived in San Francisco. It's uh, Oh my God. It's a little, little, little pricier.
0: No, thank you. I
1: don't...
0: <laughs> I love visiting San Francisco. I could not afford to live there.
1: Yeah, but to your original question, I really don't know. Um, uh, I, I'm leaning away from academia. Um, it just... It seems like... It seems like the hurdles are meant for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would much rather do a... Work on an interesting problem... Where I don't have to worry about the funding Yeah, um, that can be someone else's job or I mean, startups are really appealing to me. I like doing the, 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 thing that I like about academia is that there are, it, you can have an, a very irregular schedule and I like that. I do not like having a nine to five schedule. It, it's relaxing to have a nine to five schedule for a little while, but after, after a couple months I go stir crazy. It starts I like to
0: grade on you. Yeah. I
1: like to, I like to be able to work and then go to a seminar, and then, I don't know, go for a walk, and then make up the time, you know, later. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like a weird person saying this, but I get most of my productivity happens after 4 p.m. <laughs> um, in In terms of, like, really coding stuff, I'm really productive from 4 p.m. to 11 p.m.
0: Yeah, I'm, like, productive on, like, Sunday afternoons, which is, like... Like, even at It's home, a great
1: time to be it's productive. A great t-
0: it's like I cook a big meal and then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do some reading work or whatever. I, I'll
1: give you a pro tip that my um, that my girlfriend suggested that we we try a couple weeks ago. You do all of your Sunday chores on Saturday, and then Sunday's like a free day. It's the same amount of work. It's the same amount of work. Right.
0: It's just done. Sunday
1: felt amazing. <laughs> We've done it for like a, we did it like one week, maybe two weeks. It was great.
0: That really? always happens if I have a Friday party because then the next morning we're like, oh my god, our floors are dirty and there's glassware everywhere, and so that's whenever. And then like Sunday, I'm like, the house is clean. You don't have to like, do
1: anything. It's you just, beautiful. And if it's a nice day, you get to just enjoy it. It's yeah, it's good stuff.
0: <laughs> oh, in Chicago right now, we're getting towards the period where we won't have a lot of nice days. So
1: every day is a nice day if you if you put your mind to it. <laughs> if you try hard enough, I love the winter. I do. Um, I. Yeah, I think winter's great.
0: I love the snow, but if it's going to be cold without snow, I just, I find that bullshit.
1: Can we hear high fives on, on the mic? Yes, Can we, can we high Let's five? Do, Let's it. do it. I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, yes, cold without snow is, is not allowable. No. But I do like, I like the cold for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it, uh. A lot of people don't go outside when it's cold, and I always go outside when it's right. cold. Right? It's suddenly it's the streets quiet. are empty and it's quiet. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so quiet, and the sound absorbs all the snow. Uh, the snow absorbs all the sound. I almost said that backwards. <laughs> um, man, what am I drinking? This is like this is like ten percent or something.
0: It's a good beer. Yeah, is, I'm having whiskey. Beer. That's that's how you know it's getting cold <laughs> out. I'm like oh, screw
1: um, it. But I don't mind winter. Uh, it was it was more difficult in Chicago because there are no mountains to go skiing on but
0: yeah i know i was a big skier for winter breaks and stuff
1: yeah but computation's nice you i don't know if you do a lot of it but you can work from home you can work irregular hours it's it's got a lot of flexibility you just have to have self-discipline because yeah sometimes you're just like you're at home there's a dog (laughs) You know, there's you, a... You get distracted, you're like, oh, I should do the... Black Mirror. Yeah, I should do the laundry.
0: <laughs> oh, but while the laundry's running, I'll be distracted, so I should just watch Black Mirror right. until it's done. Oh, I forgot that the buzzer went. Yeah. So I don't work from together. home well <laughs> for that reason. I
1: didn't at first, but uh, I've, I've sort of gotten a routine, and I've, I'm much better at it. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm working on it. We'll see. Winter, winter will be a good time to work from home, I think. Um, just because I'll have a lot of reading, because we have qualification exams, so...
1: In your third year? Yeah. Uh,
0: for my area. Not every area is like that. Is
1: it an on-topic qualification? Yeah. Qualifying exam? Okay. Yeah, I get to at pick- At this point, I, do your listeners know what an on-topic qualifying probably exam is? Probably not.
0: Basically, okay. I get to pick the the subject areas that the papers will come out of, and I meet with an advisor for each of the subject areas, and we, we come up with a list of reading. And then I do- um,
1: A presentation? A, a
0: written um, essay exam for each of the topics, basically. Okay. It's okay. so like, and the topic can't just be like sleep because I study sleep, but it needs to be like slow wave oscillations in sleep. I'm okay. I'm like looking at a, a specific area within. Okay. My general topics, so.
1: Okay, that's very different from ours. It's, yeah. That's really quite different from ours. It
0: really varies by area. It does. And grad school in general varies a lot by area, though. So.
1: It does, and and by university, so. Mm-hmm. I you said oscillations, so I'll I'll I'll, I'll hijack the conversation for that, but. <laughs> I do a lot of work, so I have done previous work on circadian oscillations, and I'm really interested in in how things, uh, because of dynamics, how things oscillate through time, and and how they're related to uh, a different different uh, cyclic signals, but. It's always been a trap whenever you search oscillations in biology, it always shows up as neuro <laughs> neuroscience yeah. or psychology and it's never the information I'm looking for. There's always you read a paper title and you're like, this is gonna be perfect, this is gonna have everything that I need to know and you start reading it, and you're like, what are these people thinking? Like, Who came is, up with this title?
0: These are not the words that mean what you think they mean. <laughs>
1: Terrible, and it's always psychology or neuroscience.
0: I know. Well, and it's I'm so funny because everyone's like, Oh, well, my field has very specific jargon, but then it turns out that every everybody other has field the same
1: jargon co opted yep. each other's
0: jargon. So now you're like, I don't know what this means anymore. It's true, depends who I'm talking to. It's, it's true, so frustrating. <laughs> um, well, yeah, do you have any last thoughts that you want to chat about?
1: Science related or, or otherwise? Could be.
0: I'm gonna leave it could up to you. Be,
1: could be science related. <laughs> I want to pose a challenge to all of the future kiddos out there who are, who are listening to your podcast, which is that I would like someone to come up with a fundamental theory of biology that is true in every system that we can find. Because I believe that biology is built on the rules of math and physics and chemistry, which are all systems that we understand pretty well. Yeah. Ruling out chaos theory and, and nonlinear dynamics, which are challenging, but we understand these systems pretty well, but we have limited predictive power in biology. So I would like to see some first principles in biology. Yeah. Um, and then I don't even know how you would get to that in psychology or understanding the human brain. But
0: I mean, that's biology. <laughs> like, psychology is it just is. a specific form of biology, it is biology. really. Because I'm a materialist, and I think our mind is our brain. That's it. So <laughs> there's no special stuff.
1: That's that's really that's why that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I think it's it's really fascinating. Is because we don't know how it works yet but we will at some point and i think that will be a ton of fun to learn and it'll give us a lot of fun things to play with
0: do you think it'll be in our lifetime i hope so
1: that's again a loaded you got you got me with another loaded question uh-huh. that's asking like are we going to get like nuclear nuclear fusion in our lifetime
0: which <laughs> anytime you
1: ask a physicist they're like oh yeah it'll be another 20 years and they've been saying that since
0: 1950
1: yeah but um I don't know. Um, I guess it. I guess it depends what what type it is. I mean, you know, someone would say, "Oh, well, the first principle of biology is that there is no principle of biology. There's always an exception to the rule," um, which is a, a bummer. <laughs> I, I think that's a cop out. But I think we'll get something. I have no idea how long it will be. Um, hopefully, I figure it out in the next two years, and then, you know. Major I'll be giving, a Nobel, I'll be giving a Nobel prize speech, you know, but yeah. we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's a
0: hopeful note to end on, I think. Uh,
1: I'll be speaking to you all next time as a Nobel laureate. Yes. Yeah, so till yes. till then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and before we wrap up, do you have a Twitter account that people can find you on? Or oh God, more? I do.
1: I started it for ComSciCon and I, I really wanted it to be, I really wanted it to be, um, like science related, and I can never think of anything good. Um, I feel like I just need—I feel like I just need to engage. It's—I'm at J underscore D underscore Finkel. I think that's right. I'm—I'm I'm pulling it up right now to try to, to, to try. That's <laughs> I how, a Twitter. That's once. how often I tweet. But I will say. I'm trying to figure out if I know the the Twitter the Twitter lingo. My ratio is pretty good. I have like two to one in terms of followers.
0: That's better than mine. But actually. that's
1: because I have you know like twenty followers. Yeah. Yeah. I am I am J underscore D underscore Finkel, and you will notice that computational people really like underscores. Um, spaces are for suckers. I mean, underscores that's how I do
0: all of my like yeah.
1: Good like no underscores stuff. Uh, and or
0: Camelback. I use Camelback all oh, the camel time case. Camel case. Camel, camel case, case, whatever. Camel case.
1: Camelback's like a, a product line. Yeah, it is. It's a water <laughs> bottle. Unders- underscores, underscores the way to go. Easy to parse.
0: That's true. <laughs> um,
1: but hopefully I'll, if anybody has suggestions for what to tweet, they can tweet it at at J underscore D underscore Finkel <laughs> and I'll get tweeting. back to you and I'll retweet it. Yeah, will be, it'll be great. It'll be perfect. Yeah. But thank you for having me. This is a, this is a ton of fun.
0: Yeah, this How has been great. How many people have you had it? Um, this is show? my eighth or ninth episode, and I'm also doing group episodes, okay. um, and so it will be kind of spursed in between. Um, and but how's, yeah. how's
1: the ad revenue?
0: I, none. I'm,
1: none, ad, none. I'm in
0: science. You think I make money?
1: You could get like an NSF grant for this, right? You could totally get an NSF I grant for could. this. I'm
0: going to work on that. I That's going to be a thing that happens. I believe
1: in you. Um, Listeners.
0: Rate and review so that they want to pay for this, and then we can make it real good. Because my my audio editing skills is not great. But okay, good. I feel you, like you can
1: get a, you can get somebody to be like a sound mixer. Yeah, I know that term from other podcasts. Yeah, not there's a there's a master's
0: means. program <laughs> at Northwestern for podcasting. Oh, that's so great. Well, we have keeping a great, that in mind. We
1: have a great theater and and arts program. Yeah, so
0: exactly. That makes sense uh thanks for having
1: me this was this was great
0: this has been great uh you guys can find me at phdrinking on twitter and my email is phdrinking at gmail.com if you have students you want to come on if you want uh to ask a few questions about graduate student life whatever uh rate and review us on google play slash itunes and yeah we'll talk to you next time i have a new
1: closing for you you have to clink glasses with the person you oh, have. Oh, I like, like this! You're like right next to the microphone. Okay, cheers! Cheers!
0: It's been great. Thanks. <laughs>